how to make more money. So, you know, are you in the right career? Are you in the right job? You know, you and I presented at, at, a, um, at, a, at a meeting and, you know, there, there are people out there that say, well, I'm not accredited and I'll never be accredited. I'll help show you ways that you can become accredited by making more money. So get over that $200,000 a year um, point in terms of income so you can create more capital to make money. Do you want financial freedom, time freedom, location freedom? Want to live large to live free? Then come with me. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, back in the house is Mr. Christopher Larson from Next Level Income. If you want to check out Chris's story and learn more about Chris and Next Level, go back and listen to the previous episode where we had Chris on talking about a lot of amazing things around investing and success. But today, Chris is here to join me to take a deep dive on the economy, how he's navigating through the economy me in 2023, an awesome asset class that Chris is involved in that we're really, really excited to talk about. And we've got a couple other surprises in store as well. So Christopher Larson, welcome back to Freedom Hack Radio. Great to see you, my friend. I love the new studio. Thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about this, dude. This is the the drums in action. Many people have actually said, hey, is that real? It's real. It's real. So, dude, a place I always love to start. What's giving you the most gratitude today, mate? Yeah, I am. I am very grateful for my wife right now. We just got back from Costa Rica, which you're aware of. We we're on a couples retreat down there, and we just we interacted with an amazing group of people. Are working through um, a framework to increase our connection this year, and it's it's just been wonderful. And you know, one of the things that I love is that. It's, it's impossible to be upset, to be in a place of anger when you come from a place of gratitude. So I'm very grateful for, for my wife, for my family right now, and really keeping that top of my heart. Dude, what powerful message, man. Good reminder. I mean, yeah, to tap into that, how amazing. Thanks for sharing, bro. Absolutely. The economy, man. It's kind of wild. Yes. Lucky. I've been talking about it for a long time. You've been talking about it for a long time, but all of a sudden yeah. now everybody's talking about it. So yeah. what's your two cents on, you know, what's going on and, and kind of where we're at and what things that we need to look at right now? Yeah. And, you know, Bryce, I know you and I share a lot of similarities on, on thoughts of kind of like the, um, uh, the, the lack of real, real health in the economy right now. And, you know, COVID, and the response to COVID specifically by the government really kind of put the economy on crack in a way, right? Like they injected all this money into the system, all this fiscal stimulus into the system. And it caused some real perversions with respect to the financial markets, the financial markets, the stock market, uh, the way consumers were spending money, inflation. We've has been in the likes in a way that we've never seen in, in periods like the economy, um, or with other aspects of the economy right now. And of course, real estate. And a lot of people are freaking out in the real estate market because, you know, the era of free or cheap money has come to an end in, in some way, shape and form in a lot of these ways. And that means that if you've made choices that, you know, maybe you strayed from your principles, maybe you over leveraged, maybe you were in highly speculative positions those investors are really getting squeezed right now. And it's causing it's causing a lot of pain, a lot of people to kind of think. Um, but one thing I always remind myself is that that bubbles always last longer than we think they do. So I think that, you know, there's going to be some reckoning this year. But I think that the true bubble popping, if you will, or the true re- recompense for everything that the government has done, uh, really, that's going to come you know, two or three years down the road, in my opinion, but it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're definitely in alignment on that, bro. I think, you know, almost yep. to the T. 
So we were just the best ever conference down in Salt Lake City. Yeah. That was pretty awesome. And usually my experience is when we go to these events, everyone's talking about their asset class. Multifamily apartments is usually a big one. I know you're, you've been involved in multifamily apartments. But this year, there was a very different tone to people. Um, there was people concerned about the multifamily investment space. Yeah. And there was a lot of people who have been stuck in some particular asset class, only focusing on that that are now looking to branch outside of that um, yeah. and in a way in a capacity that I'd never actually felt before in any of these events and I've been going to these events since like 2012 or something and um, I just I think that's it's really interesting to see how the masses are definitely shifting right now um, but you know albeit a lot of people are doing it slowly now from what I know, and we've been talking about this a bit recently on Freedom Hack Radio, is that the multifamily space is hurting a little bit in some sectors, some people who have put themselves in a certain situation or have been caught Absolutely. in a certain situation. You have been pretty heavily involved in the multifamily space. How are you navigating through this kind of environment um, to still bring successful deals to the table? Yeah, and we can talk about kind of where the deals are that we have right now, um, and also kind of what our specific strategy is, which I know you mentioned the previous episode, uh, Bryce, and I, I talk about our value add strategy in my book, and specifically how it applies to multifamily. Um, and you can also learn more about my story, you can get a copy of this at nextlevelincome.com, click on the book link, and you'll get a free copy if you put your address in sent to you as well. Um, and what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people say, well, Chris, you're a multifamily guy. If you read the book, you understand that I'm a value add guy. Now, what does that mean? So if you if you um, look at the intelligent um, investor, if you look at Ben Graham, Warren Buffett, they're value add guys. And a lot of times Warren Buffett gets a lot of criticism when the economy is just going crazy. The stock market's going crazy. They're like, oh, look at Warren Buffett. His strategy is outdated. Right. But then when things pull back. People look at Warren Buffett, they're like, wow, he's got all this cash in, on hand. He's, he's scooping up all these great deals. How does Warren Buffett keep doing this over and over and over again? And how does he do what Benjamin Graham was doing, you know, decades before him? It's because he sticks to his principles. I know this is something that um, you and I also align on, Bryce, which is, you know, if you have, if you buy cash flowing assets with reasonable leverage and you have good reserves set aside, then you can weather periods that are a little bit leaner, a little bit tighter. Um, I'll give you an example, though. I think part of the issue is that investors have been spoiled, specifically in multifamily. You know, 2021 was unlike any other year we've ever seen in terms of cap rate compression, in terms of appreciation in multifamily real estate, rent growth, um, uh, vacancy. You know, we had vacancy at all-time lows. All these things we're crazy. It's like we had five years of returns compressed into one year, right? And a lot of investors, they're like, well, hey, I'm getting 30% returns, you know, and they see a deal. So we had a deal we sold and we did a 1031. Investors were getting about a 6% cash flow in that first deal. We projected like 13% returns in that deal, something like that, 13 to 15%. We sell that deal. We do a 1031 into another deal. Now, this next deal was lower leverage. It was a brand new property. It was leveraged in like 55%, had the same cash flow and the same predicted IRR. And investors said those returns are too low. 50% of the investors in that in that deal said those returns are too low. Now, what changed? What changed? What changed was investor perception. But if you read my book, back in my book, I was talking about 6% cash and 12% total returns. And that's what I based my investment thesis on. So we try to find deals where we can have, you know, solid cash flow, like, like, you know, mid digit, maybe mid high single digit and, you know, low teen returns in terms of total returns. And you can you can still find deals like that, but they're harder to find. They're harder to come by um, in multifamily specifically because a lot of people were going out and buying anything and everything they could because money was super cheap. You know, you're getting rates around 3% and you could buy anything in the past decade and, and have made money if you were a decent operator during that time. So, you know, we, we stuck to our guns for the most part. Um, the properties that we have right now that are being challenged are ones that we bought 
that were um, there were newer properties that had floating rate debt. Now we have interest rate caps on everything, so maybe the cash flow has been decreased. But all our properties are in a solid position. The problem we're having now, Bryce, is that we're not seeing deals that pencil out. It's really hard to find deals that make sense because interest rates are here and cap rates are here. And as most investors know, if your cap rates are lower than your interest rates, it's really hard to make those numbers work in general. So that's kind of been the big challenge that we've been seeing in 2023. And so what are you doing specifically to be able to navigate from yeah. that and still get deals done, yeah. but still you yeah. know, put yourself in that um, predictable like return projections? Yeah. So first off, um, we're passing on a lot of deals. So we just, you know, in the past few years, we've had, we've just had deal after deal after deal as um, sellers were coming to the table and saying, Hey, we're ready to sell, we're ready to take a profit off the table. And there was still meat on the bone for us to operate, but we're, we're just not seeing a lot of that. Um, one of the other trends that we're seeing, and this, this kind of feeds into my, my question here, uh, or my answer to your question is that affordability is a real problem in a lot of areas of the country. And I know we address this with the mobile home parks that we work on together. And that's one of the reasons I love those because you're always gonna have a need for affordable housing. One of the problems we have in this country is that you have a lot of cities that, that, that don't have affordable housing. Let's talk about Asheville real quick. Asheville has had one of the top five most competitive rental markets in the country. Now, many people might hear that statement and say, oh, that's cool. That's that's really competitive rental market. That's bad for renters. What I mean is you have the most renters competing for the least housing stock. That's what a competitive market is. And what does that mean? It means rents go up the most in the country. Top five, Asheville, one of the top five increase in rents, 20, 25% rental increases in Asheville. Now, what precipitated this? One, COVID, a lot of people want to move to Asheville. You and I know how great um, Asheville is because it's got it's got a great quality of life. It's a wonderful area of the country. Um, you spend time in Asheville. You know um, what a beautiful area it is. But the, the city council would not approve housing, even from developers that bought pieces of property where they were legally able to build. The city council declined their ability to do that or prevented their ability to do that. And what did those developers do? They went elsewhere because they still wanted to make money. And they went to places like Charlotte, where they built new housing stock. So Asheville, in a way, held, held these developers basically at ransom and said, hey, unless you build affordable housing, then we're not going to let you build here. Well, the average affordable, affordable housing unit costs about $300,000 to build. Well, if you have to rent that for $2,500 a month to, to make sense financially, but the city says, hey, you can only rent that for $1,250. Well, you can't build, you can't make money. Why would you build at a loss? It doesn't make any sense. So now the city of Asheville has this, this um, affordable housing crisis at its hands. So now they're having to come up with some solutions. Um, let's let's con contrast that with the city of Houston. Houston and the Houston Housing Authority partners with investors, with developers like, like our group and says, hey, if you come in, and you provide affordable units, then we will do something for you. And what they've elected to do is they'll waive your tax bill for 99 years if you comply with their program. So what we can do is we can come in and we can provide an affordable unit that would cost about $300,000 to build at a cost to us of $170,000. And we can take a four and a half cap property, a four, four and a half cap, five cap property, and turn that into a six or seven cap property because we are eliminating 15% of the cost of operating that, that, that property off the gross rents. So that's 15% off the gross rents. And in a property where 50% of the gross rents are typically allocated to, a, to your operating expenses, you're talking about 30% of the profit, right? So it's a massive number in states like Texas. The city of Houston gets affordable units. We get a property, a project that makes sense financially. We have a stable renter base. And what's interesting, Bryce, because rents have gone up so fast, we're not kicking out people and bringing in, you know, renters that are, you know, not qualified. A lot of these renters already live there and they're just, they're just scraping by right now. And we can actually lower their rents 5%, accommodate the affordability 
margin that the, the city of Houston says. We get the tax bill waived. We increase our returns for our investors. We provide affordable housing for the city of Houston. And it, it's a real win-win for both parties. Um, so those are those are that's a deal that um, is is a little different than kind of the traditional value add because the value add is largely coming from the the paperwork, the time, the partnership with the city of Houston that's taken you know months or years in some cases to put into place, but now it's come into fruition, and we can apply that to current deals that we're doing. And so you know, people in the multifamily space they're calling these tax abatement deals. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, you know, tax abatement or tax exempt deals. Yeah. Tax exempt deals. Yeah. yeah. And like you say, it's a win, 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 win for like a lot of people. Um, yeah. I've only seen a handful of operators and guys like yourself actually bring these deals to the table. Yeah. And, you know, my personal opinion, and I'm not a financial advisor, CPA or attorney, yeah. make all your own financial decisions. But my personal opinion looking at this kind of stuff is um, if I was in the multifamily space, that's the kinds of deals I'd be doing because um, it seems like they pencil out. It's win-win. There's kind of some recession resistance protection to it. And um, I just, I think it's a really good business model. And I, you know, you, you talked before about cities saying, Hey, we want to like solve affordable housing. In my opinion, I've been preaching, screaming from the treetops that affordable housing is the largest yes, you have. real estate problem in America Currently, mobile home parks is the larger contributed, largest contributor to solving the problem, but mathematical equation says that we can't solve that problem alone. Whoever does solve that problem is going to be very, I think, um, you know, is going to be very profitable and helping a lot of people. But, uh, you know, a lot of cities so far, uh, just they're a little bit unrealistic because they're like, hey, we want this. But like yeah. you said before, it doesn't pencil out. Or... We want affordable housing. Cool. Can you offer mobile home park grants? Oh, no, we don't do mobile home parks. And so it's like, yeah. really, then, you know, they say that that's what they want. And maybe part of that is what they want. But they've got other things they want, too. And I think, you know, watching things unfold under the next few years will be interesting. I think we'll be forced in a situation yeah. where cities are going to have to start changing, going to have to start doing these tax, more tax abatement deals or more something where they're like meeting people in the middle because right. it's a little unrealistic for them to achieve what they want to achieve right now. Yeah, I agree. And look, you, you and I have been, you know, beating the same drum. It's like, Hey, we need, it's kind of like energy in, in, in a sense where, you know, n wind, solar, natural gas, nuclear, like pick any one of those, any one of those solutions is not going to solve our energy problem immediately. Mm -hmm. Mobile homes, you know, tax abatement strategies, building affordable housing, none of these on their own are probably going to solve the problem immediately. But if you you contribute to all of these and help people solve the problem together, then they can all make a big dent. The city of Houston needs 200,000 affordable units, 200,000. Now, how many mobile home parks would it take? How many apartment buildings would it take? It's going to take years and years to get to that point where we solve the problem, but they are doing something about it. And they're doing something that has a very short timeline. It can be done immediately because you don't need to wait and build and go through permitting and all that stuff. It can be done cheaper than building new. That's a win. And then like you said, Bryce, you know, for, from our perspective as investors, we want, we want a stable resident base, right? And if we have residents that are already vetted, they're already there, or, you know, a small percentage that we need to move in, if we're providing them a higher quality product, a higher quality living arrangement that they would get, then if they went down the road where they're going to be in a, a less safe neighborhood, you know, lower quality school district, if they have families further away from work, they're getting something for their money, but they're getting it at the same price. So that means that they're going to have some loyalty where we are. And we, by law, in accordance with this agreement, we can't just give the crappy units to those residents that are paying less. They get the same quality unit. Otherwise, we lose our tax exempt status. So there's the, the city's thought through this, in my opinion. I really like it. Again, you know, you mentioned you haven't seen a lot of these deals. Part part of the reason, in my opinion, is because it's fairly new. Another reason is it's a lot of red tape. It's a lot of it's a lot of paperwork. It's a lot of time. Um, but they're cash flow positive today. We know what, what they're going to be within a relatively 
firm band going forward. And it's, you know, it's hard to kind of tell how they're going to perform based on past performance because this program wasn't around in 2008, 2009. But I do think that there's going to be some downside protection because you're going to be less likely to lose a resident, you know, because you're going to kind of weed out uh, the lower quality residents. You're going to naturally retain the higher quality residents, even if they're in the same um, socioeconomic band. Totally, dude. And so, you know, uh, for people who aren't up to pace on the multifamily piece, most operators in the multifamilies piece from a property management perspective have a 40% turnover of tenancy each year, right? So that means yeah. that if you have 100 tenants in a, in a multifamily apartment community, 40 of those tenants are going to leave that year and then Every you year. have to turn over a new 40. With these tax abatement deals, It'd be interesting to see how they play out. I think there'll be like a lot less people actually turning over in those communities. Um, and also with like interest rates going up and with price inflation increasing, people have to raise rents. I get it. We all have to kind of keep up with our expenses, but it can get to a point where it's just like we're losing tenants all over the place because they can't afford to pay it. Um, and it becomes this like problem that becomes really hard to solve. But if you have these measures in place already built in, uh, you know, the, the, there's like a limit on the amount that the rents can be increased on these um, these tax abatement tenants, right? So it's kind that's of right. like yep. tenancy protection. So yeah, I think that's really cool. Well, that's exactly right. And it's it's they go up in terms of inflation as well. So if, if wages are rising in the area, then we can raise rents, you know, approximately the same level. But here's the other thing that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about, Um we, we go on demographic data, Bryce. We want to invest where people are moving. So whether that's the Carolinas, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Texas, Houston is set to surpass Chicago as one of the top five, ultimately possibly one of the top three largest American cities. And the thing is, if you're not solving this problem, people are going to move to other areas. Like there's a reason people are moving out of California, you mm -hmm. know, politics. Um, you know, culture, you also look at the cost, the cost of living taxes are so high. If you can move to Texas, not pay income tax, and you have more affordable options. And oh, by the way, more jobs and more jobs create a higher need for housing. And if you provide housing, it means you provide, you know, more people for more jobs, it means businesses can grow faster. And it's just a really, it's a virtuous cycle if you provide that environment. I think Texas is doing a great job of that. I think Florida is doing a great job of that. Um, the Carolinas, Tennessee, um, Georgia, all, you know, all these, all these uh, states that I've been mentioning, they're, they're pro-business in a lot of ways. And, you know, if you're pro-business, you use some common sense solutions. They're, they may be not be perfect. You know, there's some, like I mentioned, there's some unknowns out there with some of these things, but I'm going to bet on the rising tide in these states and these cities that are bringing people in and providing, you know, long-term thoughtful measures to support businesses and growth. Love it, dude. So tax abatement deals, tax exemption, uh, exempt deals in the multifamily space. If you want to get involved and want to find out more, reach out to Chris. His contact yeah. details are going to be in the show notes below, and we'll also share them later on as well. So love that you're doing that to adjust in the multifamily space. There's also another asset class that I am just chomping on the bit to bring to my investment group. Um, I know you and I have been working on it for a really long time. You've been involved in this asset class for quite a while. And dude, I'm really, really excited about it. And then this asset class is car washes, especially yes. express car washes. So Chris, can you bring for those people who don't know much about express car washes up the pace on why this is such an exciting asset class that we're just chomping at the bit over? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fired up. And, uh, you know, people are going to laugh when they hear about how excited I am over something like car washes, where um, I spent almost 20 years in the medical device industry, which is, you know, super technical, highly logistic, you know, lots of lots of technology and um, cost and, you know, there's payer issues and all this stuff, very complicated business medical devices. Car washes are, are very simple. And from an investment perspective, I like, I like simple businesses where you have a predictable consumer or predictable client population, you know, mobile homes, multifamily. You know, if you have 50 or 100 or 200 residents that every month are paying rent, 
that that's a really nice business model, right? And it's very scalable, which you can do. I looked at car washes almost 10 years ago with my uncle. We almost bought one, dove deep into the space. We liked it. He's an accountant, by the way, because they have high profit margins, 50% plus. They're, they're simple businesses. You know, you're, you're really just dealing with, you know, some machines, chemicals, and, you know, typically some, some people, some personnel, but not a ton. It's not a highly skilled, you know, area. So it's a pretty simple business. Um, now the question is like, what, like, where do you go in the car wash space? So let me, let me take a step back here, Bryce. And for the audience, I'll talk about kind of what types of car washes there are. And then I'll talk about kind of the numbers behind car washes. And then we can talk about, you know, really why I'm excited and, and what I think is the big opportunity going forward. So really there's three types of, of car washes that are out there. Um, there's self-service. So this would be like I used in college when um, we would we'd go for a mountain bike ride. And on the way back to the dorm room or the way back to our apartment, we'd stop and they have the hose. You feed the quarters in, which is a real pain in the butt. And, you know, we'd wash our bikes, we'd wash our cars and all the mud off and do that. Um, and there's like typically a bunch of bays and you can probably picture these in your head. It, it kind of looks like uh, almost like a little mini airport hangar or something mm -hmm. like that with hoses and, and little coin op machines. Then you have uh, in-bay automatic. So this would be typically these are attached to uh, like a, uh, a gas station where you might go around the side and there's just a single bay and you park. And the machine goes around your car. I call it a robot because that's what it is. It's a big robot. And I actually own one of these here uh, where I live in Asheville. We have a two-bay in-bay automatic. And uh, the, the type of wash we have is, is called a laser wash. It's a touchless, which provides a, a really nice wash. And it's basically two robots, one in each bay. And you pull in. You choose what wash you want. And then those robots wash your car. And it's, it's, it's a really nice wash. Typically takes three, five, eight minutes, depending on the wash you get. Um, it takes uh, a little bit longer than the fastest washes out there, um, which are the express tunnel car washes. So probably no surprise, the express wash is the fastest one. Um, and we're, we're applying a lot of the technology in our little wash here in Asheville that we're using in our bigger express tunnel washes. Now, what's an express tunnel wash? Well, it's like most people would think it's a tunnel. So this is a tunnel that can wash multiple cars at the same time. And essentially what it is, you pull in, you pull onto a conveyor belt and that conveyor belt moves you through the tunnel. And then you have little stations within the tunnel and each of those stations will pre-rinse your car under, you know, wash your undercarriage. It'll scrub your car down. It'll apply soap. It'll um, then apply, you know, the different selected, um, uh, chemicals and selected finishes that you choose in your package that you do. And then it spits you out the other side. And these are typically done three to five minutes. So it's a really efficient way to wash your car. You can move a lot of cars through. Now the challenge is an express tunnel is going to cost you three to $5 million to build plus the land and the permits and all that stuff. So you're looking at probably five to $10 million to build an express tunnel car wash Whereas, you know, you can go buy an in-bay automatic car wash for, you know, like one to two million dollars or self-service for for approximately the same. So why would you why would you choose one versus the other is the question. Um, so I'm, I'm going to pause there, Bryce, because this is where I'm really going to dive into kind of some of the numbers and kind of why we we really dove in headfirst into this space. Why car washes? Why now? So if you're listening, I want you to raise your hand if you wash your own car. And I mean like in your driveway with the hose, like raise your hand if you wash your own car. And I know you've, you've been in a room when I've done this, you know, people raise their hands. It's typically, you know, 10, 20% of the room. It's like one out of five are washing their own car. The stats show maybe up to 40% of people actually wash their own car today but that number is is rapidly decreasing and i think you know the more money you make the less likely you are to wash your own car you're probably paying somebody to do it like come detail your car and like i have somebody detail our cars like once every you know quarter a couple times a year and typically it's like 150 200 sometimes 300 dollars to have your car detailed now that is a really good quality cleaning and, you know, the guy that we use, he'll provide like a ceramic coating. He'll put, he'll apply 
um, like stain protector on the leather or the fabric, but that's a lot of money to have your car cleaned. Now, I don't know about you, but I like a clean car and I go mountain biking. The gym I go to has a gravel parking lot. My boys play sports. There's gravel. Our cars are dirty all the time. And we have nice cars. We want our cars to look good. Makes me feel good when I have a clean car. I want a clean car. I don't want to wait three months or six months to have a clean car. So that's where the express tunnel comes in. And a lot of people are going to wash their cars in a car wash. And most are using an express tunnel. The cool thing is with the express tunnel, it's very similar to multifamily mobile home park, multifamily real estate mobile home parks. You have memberships. So I'm sure some of you are nodding your head right now because you, you are listening. You're saying, I have one of those memberships. And these express tunnels are favored by groups like private equity because they have what's called monthly recurring revenue. And that monthly recurring revenue comes from people like those nodding their heads that have those memberships. And why would you have a membership? Well, it typically costs 20, sometimes even $40 for some of these higher end washes to get your car washed. Well, you can have a membership at our Hurricane Express washes starting at $20 a month. So you're typically paying about what it costs for, you know, one and a half, two washes to get a monthly membership. And that's, that's really nice from a business perspective because you know, if you can increase your memberships, you can increase your revenue. Well, where does the value of a business come from? The value of a business, whether you're talking about mobile home parks or multifamily real estate, or, you know, if you're a business owner, your business or an express tunnel car wash comes from net operating in income or EBITDA, and it comes from a multiple of that. So if we can increase our income and we can decrease our operating expenses, which we can get into detail here, then we can increase the value of the business. And that's that's a real it's really simple to do that if we put in some basic sales. Um, so that th that's kind of like, why are we getting into car washes? We're getting into them because people want to have their car washed. We are getting into express tunnel washes because we have the ability to scale. We have the ability to increase memberships. We have the ability to decrease operating expenses through national contracts, through uh, appropriate maintenance, through appropriate um, measures like spray angles and using the right chemicals and uh, in the right concentrations and those sorts of things. But then the final piece is we are getting into them because 85% of this market is owned by mom and pops. And what that means, what I would define that as, is an owner with four or less washes. So I had a coaching client. They had two of these washes. I'm listening to them tell me about how profitable they are. I'm like, this is this is fantastic. Like they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year off of one of these little washes that that basically runs itself with, you know, five to 10 employees. It was doing really, really well. Well, if you sell one of those washes and you only own a couple, you're probably going to get around a six, seven, eight X multiple of EBITDA. A private equity group, and they, we just saw this in the Wall Street Journal here recently, um, private equity are paying 12, 15, even up to 20x EBITDA. So if you can accumulate a portfolio of 50 to 100 or 200 of these washes from these smaller operators, then you can roll them up and sell them at a one and a half to two times greater multiple than if you're just selling them one at a time. And that's, that is really exciting if you look at it from a portfolio perspective. And it's like you said, it's a very untapped space. There's not too many operators out there that have large portfolios of this. I think the largest um, portfolio is like somewhere between three and 400 car washes or something like that. That's exactly right. Yeah, Mr. Wash is around 350 and it's, it's always growing and changing, but yeah, it's about right. Which, I mean, looking at the grand scheme of things is like relatively small. And so one of the things that I look at in an asset class is what stage of the gold rush phase is it in? And the way I actually look at this, it's in the early stages of the gold rush phase. I think that yes. there's 
very long legs to this asset class. I think there's very, very long way to go. Um, and, you know, the mobile home park space, one of the reasons why we're so successful there is because we're buying off mums and pops. And the mums and very pops who in the mobile home parks typically don't have the uh, skills in running like the highly professional business, like a well-oiled machine. Um, and they usually don't have the capital that would be required to do any of the upgrades or adjustments or things that needed. So they're just kind of moseying on by, probably keeping their prices the same, probably not doing any marketing or anything like this, which leaves this abundant opportunity uh, in the car wash space to come in and to maximize on these efficiencies, to turn things to a subscription base, to give the local people what they need, to increase the marketing, to put the word out there, increase the efficiency of the machines, increase the actual equipment and sustainability of the equipment, and, and probably get more cars per like hour going through the car wash. Right. And all of these little intricacies yeah. where just one of these metrics alone can have a big impact on on the yeah. net operating income or the EBITDA that combined all together, there's just like this massive abundant, you said it before, value add opportunity. And it's almost an untapped space. Yes. So let's talk about some of those specifics, Bryce. So if you look at the, the international definition of a market leader, you have to have 5%, 5% market share or more. Okay. You mentioned the biggest the market leader in this space, he, they're only at like 3%. So by definition, there's no true market leader yet in the express tunnel car wash space. That means there's a lot of room for consolidation on the way to having market leaders in this space. And so then the question is, all right, if there are all these mom and pops, just like mobile home parks, like who is buying the mom and pops? So those big those those bigger operators in the space, they're they are car wash operators. Okay, you have private equity groups, but the challenge with the private equity group that says, "Hey, I want this revenue stream. I want these monthly recurring revenues." Now, why would a private equity group want to buy these? Well, people have heard of Blackstone, right? BlackRock, um, you know, different different equity groups that are out there that are offering financial options to their clients. They want these. Why do they want these? There's still a search for yield. Yeah, you can go buy a treasury bond right now and get like 5%. Okay, great. A couple of years ago, you couldn't get 2%. So people still want yield. Investors want yield and they want opportunities. The stock market is at all time highs still. You know, bonds, I mean, you can, you know, people have lost a lot of money if they own bonds here in the past couple of years. So you can get a little bit of money in bonds. But, you know, I was reading article after article how the 60-40 portfolio was just blown up. And then now I'm reading article after article about how alternatives, which I, I, I just get a kick out of how businesses and real estate and gold are alternatives, right? Com compared to their alternatives compared to the new financial instruments that are out there. But these things have been around a lot longer. Mm -hmm. Insurance, like, you know, I'm a big fan of. So these private equity groups come in and say, hey, we're going to buy your car wash, Mr. You know, Mr. and Mr. Mom and Pop. Great. Will you stay on board and operate it? Because they don't have an operating group. So then the question is, who can come into the middle and have the purchasing power of a private equity group, but the operating power of a large operator? And that is how we structure our business. So we built out an operating team to scale, and we have well over 100 employees now on our car wash team. And we have uh, Cameron who runs that. He has an engineering background. So who do you want to run car washes? You want somebody with a mechanical and a chemical background. Cameron comes from a medical device production facility background, chemicals, mechanics. And if you can come in and, and really optimize those, the last piece of the puzzle is people. And most people would say, well, engineers aren't good with people, but Cameron used to run teams. So he's got the three pieces and he's built out a regional management team that has the same thoughtful application with respect to operating as he does. And if you come and you listen to one of our meetings in-house, you're going to hear us talk about being the Chick-fil-A of the car wash space. So this, this really kind of, kind of brings it all together. My favorite chicken sandwich in Asheville is, is just about a mile and a half away. Okay. And I love to go there with, with my older son after a bike ride. And that chicken sandwich is like $15. Okay. So Best chicken sandwich, in my opinion, Nashville is 15 bucks. 
I go, I sit down. <clears throat> it probably takes me about 30 minutes to get my food. Maybe I have a drink while I'm waiting to get it. I'm, I'm always happy with that chicken sandwich when I get it. Okay. And I walk out of there and with my son, I'm probably paying 50 to $80, you know, for a couple meals and a couple drinks. It's not cheap. I can go to Chick-fil-A and get their chicken sandwich. Now, is it as good as that chicken sandwich? No, it's not as good, but it costs me a third of the price. And I'm in and out of there in five minutes. So if if it's a Wednesday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon, I'm in the car with my kids and I say, hey, where do you want to go to eat? They say Chick-fil-A. I know what I'm getting at Chick-fil-A. I know I can get a better sandwich at my favorite restaurant around the corner, but I'm going to pay, you know, three, four five times as much for that same, you know, that, that type of meal. And it's going to take me a lot longer. And sometimes I just don't have the ability to do that. And I can't afford to do that every day, you know, with, with my kids and the time aspect, I don't have the time and to, to do all that. So what we want to do, we don't want to take the place of the guy that's detailing my car. We want to be your option. When you want to get your car washed every week, you want it to look good. You want to feel good and you want to take care of your car. And that really drives at the heart of why people do this. They want to feel good. So if you look at the International Car Washers, <clears throat> Car Wash Association that I'm a part of, they said, hey, we're going to do a poll and, and take the top five reasons that people want to wash their cars. Quality is number four. Okay. It's number four. People want to wash their cars. And when they wash their car, they want to feel good. They want to have a good value. And they also want to have predictability in terms of the quality as well as the time. So if, if you roll up to your express tunnel car wash and you're sitting there and the line is going to take you 20 minutes, you're probably not going to wait to go through that wash because you're not going there to wait 20 minutes to get the best wash in the world. You're going there, to get your car washed in five minutes. So it looks good. People ask me, well, what about if the economy turns down? Well, if you have a new car, you're likely to wash your car because you want to take care of it. If you have an older car, you're probably going to wash it more because if you can't afford a new car, the, the more challenged you are from a financial perspective, the more likely your car is your most valuable possession. And just like why, why people drink more and they do drugs more when the economy turns down, they're, they're looking for just, just a little escape, something to give their mood a boost. And I can't tell you how many times I've taken my kids through the car wash and the lights are going and they're eating their Chick-fil-A in the backseat. True story. And they're like, this is awesome. And it it cost me, you know, 10 or 15 bucks. In reality, it cost me nothing because I have a membership. Right. And you know, some people are saying, well, it doesn't cost you nothing. You actually own the car wash. You're making money. Um, but the express tunnel is a different. So we roll through there. I, I go through. My car looks good. My kids, my kids are fed. They had a good time. We come home. Maybe we wipe it down with some, you know, some some towels or something like that out in the sun and we get a little bit of sun while we're doing it. And it turns into a family event. And that's the real thing. You know, people wash their cars because they want to take care of one of their most valuable assets and they want to feel better. And what we're doing is we're providing a way for people to feel better, take care of their valuable asset and doing it in affordable, predictable fashion. And if my wife's got anything to do with it, the last thing that'd be going off the budget is, is washing the car. Cause she's like super big on me having a clean car. I don't know if like, there's a lot of other yeah. people out there that also yeah. either are like that themselves. or have a wife like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And dude, it's like, it's like when Netflix started and Netflix yeah. was like seven bucks a month and you're like, it's an yeah. absolute no-brainer. Like yeah, the subscription model is yeah. the same as what you would, it's maybe slightly more than what you would pay for one wash, but you get unlimited washes for the rest of the month. Yeah. It's just kind of like, yep. it's a no-brainer. And so I'm assuming yeah. there's a lot of people that are just going there for a wash that next thing you know, they're walking around with a subscription because it's like, it's an unbeatable value. Yeah, so let's talk about like, well, wait, how do you make money if people you know, buy an unlimited wash and they wash their car every day. Um, well, first off, people don't wash their car every day. Um, and, and there are limits, like you can't have a membership and wash like a whole fleet of cars. We have like fleet memberships and those sorts of things. So you can't, you can't game the system from that respect. And we use um, license plate rear technology, different like RFID chips, those sorts of things. So you can't, you know, there's ways, 
there's ways that we track these things and you catch people. But um, th there are people that, that get a better value out of it. So if it costs $2, approximately $2 to wash a car and we charge $20, you say, well, okay, what, you know, where's the margin with respect to that? There's a big margin there. So the average member washes their car about two times a month. Okay. So average member washes their car two times a month. You know, the margin is certainly there uh, to do that. I give my wife a hard time if she doesn't wash her car every week because I know like we're better off just just paying like to have a car washed once a month if we're not going to do it every time. Um, and then you're right. We are always encouraging people to sign up for a membership. One, hey, sign up for a membership. Wash your car more. It's going to look better. It's going to last longer. You're going to feel better. And it's going to be a better value. If you wash your car twice a month, you know, you're going to get a better value out of it. Now you can wash it every week and pay less than you were if you're washing it, you know, one and a half or two times a month. Some people have asked me, they're like, well, Chris, yeah, but this isn't good for the environment. Like, what are you going to do when the environmentalists shut you down? Well, you know, I don't know if everybody knows this that's listening, but it's actually it saves water if you put your dishes in a dishwasher versus washing them by hand saves energy because it's more efficient. You fill up the dishwasher, it takes less electricity, less hot water, and less water to do that. The other thing is, I'm pretty sure if you were one of those people that raised your hand and said, hey, I washed my car in my driveway, you're not collecting that wastewater and skimming off the chemicals and the soap and the oils before it going running down the drain. We do that as well. So we have a catchment system at all of our washes. We're recycling some of the water. We're pulling out all the soap and chemicals and those sorts of things. So it's way better for the environment going through one of our washes than it is washing your car at home, unless you're using a catchment system and not using city water and you know recycling all your water, which um, I'm sure there's somebody out there that's, that's doing that. Um, and then the final piece is, we train our staff and we pay our staff more. So just like Chick-fil-A, it's crazy how how polite and how nice the staff is at Chick-fil-A when a lot of these kids are high school or college kids. And you're thinking like, wow, how did, like what happened? They're all they're all dressed well because they have uniforms. You see the same thing when you go to our washes. They're paid better than the local the other establishments nearby. So we pay them better. And that's one of the big things. You mentioned this earlier, Bryce. A lot of mom and pops, they don't have maybe the resources or the sophistication. They also think, hey, if I just pay my staff more, I'm going to make more money. The way we see it is because we're targeted on the long-term plan, the long-term game, we'd rather pay our staff a couple dollars more. We actually have one person more on average than the industry average on site. And the reason is our customers get a better experience. We sell more memberships and that ultimately makes us more profitable because people stay, more people get memberships and also we sell more. So it, it's not it's not a really complicated business as I mentioned before, coming from a very complex business where we had to you know, train in, in some cases uh, individuals that were in ORs for two years before they were really self-sufficient. You know, we can get staff trained very rapidly. They can be very effective, you know, very communicative, um, and, and very happy just with, with treating them better than the industry averages. That's beautiful, man. I am super, super excited about this space. And like I said before, I think it's got really long legs. I think we're in the early stages of the gold rush phase with these car washes. And I'm really just oh, excited wow, to see where this is going to go yeah. for the next few years. You know, we're seeing some other sectors tighten up like multifamily and, um, you know, everything's balanced when things get challenging over here, opportunities show up over here. And I think this is one That's of right. the awesome opportunities that only a few people are talking about right now. Only a few people have been getting in there and sinking their teeth into it and building a really solid track record with proven systems and proven results. And um, that's why I'm really excited to team up with you in this asset class, because you guys already have the teams in place. You've got the track records, you've figured out the sophistication of it all. And uh, dude, it's just really, really exciting. I'm, yep. I'm super excited about it. Yeah, so I'm sure some people are out there saying like, well, if this is the gold rush phase, how long how long do we have? And like, you know, why, you know, how do you do it? How do you get involved? I mentioned earlier, you can go buy one of your own locations, you know, if you want and kind of run it, run it yourself. And there's entrepreneurs out there that are well suited to do that. 
you know, we allow investors to come along with us. If you look at the pace with which these tunnels are being built, it's going to take about 15 years to build out the space entirely. So we strongly believe that the opportunity lies in the next three to five years to either build or accumulate these washes. We're at about two dozen right now. We have um, a few more under contract, depending on when this airs, they may already be under contract. Um, and our goal is to get to 150 or more locations and ultimately sell to a private equity group and, and achieve some of those higher multiples. The nice thing is, the fun thing is that we're producing really strong cash flows immediately as well. So investors that invest with us are getting strong cash flows right out of the gates and they're seeing really, really substantial long-term uh, returns if you look at you know the exits with these. Uh, but the, the nice thing is you get cash flow you know almost immediately from day one when you're investing in this space because of the virtues of these businesses. Beautiful, man. Thanks for the explanation. Love it. Yeah. So I know we're coming up on a little bit of time here and uh, yeah. still got some more exciting things to dig into. So one of the things uh, about you is that you love helping people create financial freedom. And I know yeah. that I actually have an absolutely amazing business partner who came from your mentorship program. And he was one of the yeah. test pilots for a lot of the wisdom that you share with so many entrepreneurs that are now kicking butt. I really like what you put together because I have an amazing business partner. You definitely cultivated him into a, an excellent gentleman um, and very, very wise man. And so since you started with your mentoring, which used to be like the one-on-one, -on -one, you've now then progressed to put together this package and um, for people to be able to achieve financial freedom. And so um, I'd really appreciate if you could unpack a little bit of that for us. Yeah, we, those are kind words about uh, your partner Nolan Bryce, and uh, he's he's a he's an impressive individual. Obviously, he's he's got a wonderful uh, mentor in, in yourself as well now. So you should you should uh, take some credit for that too. But um, yeah, uh, Nolan got to participate in in the program when it when it got started. Um, you know, I was charging thirty thousand dollars to work one on one with coaching clients, and there was two problems with that. One not everybody could afford to work one-on-one -on -one. and two i'm not scalable so like i can't i can't multiply myself um not yet maybe with ai we can figure figure this out here but um i i don't know if i'll be in coaching if i can figure out how to use ai like that um but what i did was i took the entire framework which we talk about how to make more money keep more money and ultimately grow your money and we put that framework into an online course so now anybody can get it you have access to that course. Um, my son asked me today on, on the way to uh, school, he's like, well, what are you doing today, dad? And I was telling him, I was like, oh, I got some podcasts. I'm doing this. And I just wrapped up uh, recording one of my own podcasts. And he said, well, why do you do podcasts, dad? And I said, well, I said, it's important because the mission of next level income is help, help individuals achieve financial independence through education and investment opportunities. So we just finished talking about what I think is a wonderful opportunity in the car wash space if you're an investor. But what if what if you're not ready to invest yet? You know, what if you don't have the capital to invest? Or what if you're just not comfortable and you need a framework to invest? So what we do with our course, Bryce, is we help walk investors. And it's kind of set up on, a, on an eight-week structure, but you can go through it in eight days or eight months or whatever you want um, on your own time. It can help you find more time. I'll help you create 20 to 40 hours more in your week. And that means you can either spend more time with your family, spend more time on your health, spend more time on your side hustle. I was working full time and I was on the road. I was on call. I was oftentimes working six hours, six, six days a week. And I started, I wrote my book, started a real estate business. And I did that by eliminating and finding ways to create that extra time in my day. And that didn't mean I wasn't spending time with my family. Also, how to make more money. So, you know, are you in the right career? Are you in the right job? You know, you and I presented at, at, a, um, at, a, at a meeting and, you know, there, there are people out there that say, well, I'm not accredited and I'll never be accredited. I'll help show you ways that you can become accredited by making more money. So get over that $200,000 a year um, point in terms of income so you can create more capital to make money. Once you're making money, a lot of investors, and I find a lot of, of my coaching clients, 
are fall into this category where they're struggling to keep their money. And there's there's some silent killers out there of your wealth. The first is taxes. I have coaching clients that were paying 50% of their income. Um, I, I actually know I have good friends that were paying even more than that um, of their income. So how can you lower your taxes to under 20% as low as 15% or even lower than that, depending on you know what, what strategies that, that you can use? Also, serious illness or death. This can creep up. How do you how do you protect yourself against that? You need to have proper insurance strategies in place. We have a proprietary strategy called the investment optimizer, where you can actually combine insurance and investments and the strategy pays for itself. So you basically get the insurance for free and you you get all the benefits of that insurance. That's very near and dear to my heart because my father passed away when I was five. And I know how important it is to have that protection. And then, you know, finally, a frivolous lawsuit or, or some sort of legal liability. Now, this is the stuff that people don't want to talk about because it's not fun. Everybody wants to jump to how do I make more money? How do I grow my money? Right. But if somebody sues you and they grab your assets, then that's a real problem. That's going to rob you of your wealth. So my personal attorney, he gave us his entire course and that's inside of this course. So if you get my course, you get his course inside of my course as well. And then the last piece, how to grow your money. One of the biggest struggles that I've seen investors have is how to evaluate deals. Is this a good deal? But even more than that, what questions do I ask? So we give you what's called our LP for limited partner deal analyzer. It gives you all the questions that you need to ask operators. And then it also allows you to quantitatively evaluate that. So what does that mean? It allows you to basically assign a score so you can figure out, hey, is this a good investment for me? And even if you just learn the right questions to ask operators like like yourself, Bryce, like me, then you'll know, hey, I'm confident that I asked the right questions and I got the answers that I can now use. A lot of investors, they, they aren't confident in their investments because they don't know the right questions to ask. So just having those questions is great. And then it allows you to track your investments inside of there as well. So that's just that's just a little bit of what you get in the course. Um, but if you want that, we're going to do a special discount. If you're listening today, if you use Bryce, B-R-Y-C-E, you can go to the link in the show notes to buy the course and you'll get a third off that course. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, even if even if someone who buys the course just buys it to get those questions to ask an operator, if you're looking to passively invest in a deal, I think that would be worth the tuition alone, um, especially with the amazing discount you've thrown on top. So thank you very much for that. That's awesome. Um, but like, you know, the, the syndication space and passive investing, it's becoming much and much bigger. It's becoming more popular. Um, yeah. you and I could be on a podcast three years ago, five years ago, seven years ago and talk about syndication. Nobody really knew what we were talking about, but yeah. now we go to real estate meetings and there's a lot of, um, newbie investors and people looking to break into the space that are like, Hey, I'm, uh, I want to get involved in some syndications this year. Yeah. So, um, and then all of those other amazing pieces that you have involved in that as well. Actually, honestly, I don't know anybody who has put a course together quite like this. So that's absolutely amazing. What's the, what's the course called again? Yeah. So it's going to be six level six, I'm sorry, six figures of passive income roadmap. So it's going to help you develop your roadmap to six figures of passive income. Six figures of passive income roadmap. Take advantage of that awesome discount by using Bryce in the code and, and click in the show notes below. Chris, it's been an absolutely amazing time to have you here back on Freedom Hack Radio. I feel like we never have enough time. There's so many awesome things to talk about. I really appreciate we'll do it again. you as a person. You know, I watch you and, and you growing your family and growing as an entrepreneur and growing your business and helping tons of people along the way. You're a really good example of of a you know, really well-balanced man who really puts a lot of effort into growth in all the areas of life. So thanks for showing up and being the man that you are. Thank you for all of the wisdom you, that you shared with us today and all of the awesome information on car washes that I'm really, really excited to be collaborating with you on. Um, before we take off, mate, do you have any final words? Oh, I would just say thank you, Bryce. You know, the community that you're building here, this is what, you know, this is where I learned you know, through forums like this. So if you're listening today and you're saying, hey, this is this is awesome information and you're just struggling to get started, 
start taking those steps. You have tremendous resources here, you know, with Bryce, with myself, even if you're not ready to, to, to buy the course, get the book, check out, check out our blog, check out our podcast, do something to move forward on your journey towards financial independence. Beautiful. Thank you very much. And thank you again for your time. Again, click the links in the show notes below to take access, advantage of these awesome uh, opportunities. And this is Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And until next week, live large, live free. G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio, and I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at Freedom Hack Radio.